It's time to travel with Anita. From across town to around the world, she covers it all. Spanning the globe for more than four decades, Anita has been to over 100 countries and territories and is the host of the Lowell Thomas Bronze Award-winning podcast, Quarter Miles Travel. From load transportation fares to travel insurance concerns, safety to savings, Anita gets you there and back with a smile along the way. And so when I think of sustainability and conservation, however you want to call it, there's really two sides. There's, um, you know, with sustainability, there's, there's lessening your negative impact, right? Like lessening your footprint, right? Um, but the reality is the other half, like literally 50% of my job is maximizing the positive impact. Right. So I would say just by the very kind of feeling and definition, sustainability is like reducing the negative impact. Conservation is maximizing the positive impact. We hear it all the time. Ecotourism, sustainability, conservation, all talking about travel. But what does that exactly mean? Welcome to Travel with Anita and Friends. And today, I asked my friends over at Natural Habitat Adventures to explain exactly what it means. In their company, Natural Habitat is all about conservation of both wildlife and communities. I had an in-depth conversation with their Chief Sustainability Officer, Court Whalen. Because this year on Travel with Anita, I want to dive much deeper into sustainability and also conservation and exactly what it means for the wildlife, communities, culture, all about all of the things that are so important when we travel. Also things like cuisine. I traveled with the company to Churchill, Manitoba to see the polar bears. So I had a firsthand look at how they combine travel and conservation. And I wanted to know more. I had the questions and Court had the answers all about the company Natural Habitat Adventures, also called NatHab. So let's jump right into it. Yeah, so NatHab has been around for 35 plus years. I think we're probably not too far away from our 40th anniversary. Um, and it's really been conservation from the get-go. And the thing is, is that I think one of the many reasons I love NatHab is it really defined this idea of conservation and travel in tandem. Um, a lot of times it's termed ecotourism, but this idea of responsible travel to natural areas that conserves the environment and promotes the welfare of local people. I think that last part is the huge part of conservation is that people don't often think of the financial effects of ecotourism as actually supporting local communities to then incentivize people to save the wildlife. You saw it in Churchill. It's, yeah. it's an income. It's a business. And yes, we love polar bears and they love polar bears because they're cool animals, but they're they're also in love with them because they are it's in their best interest as a business. So so it's always been in tandem. And I think that had really defined what that looks like from the get go of conservation and travel. Um, and I started studying this um, in, in uh, you know academia about 20 years ago um, and you know wrote papers and all that. And and I, I think it's it's one of the most compelling things that you can have a a business that does awesome things and take people around the world. And it's one of the most powerful conservation engines that exists. Um, so it's very, very cool. And it's all about, you know, paying attention to local communities, making sure that everybody has the best interest of the environment and wildlife. And of course, going above and beyond in all the ways that we do, like, you know, being carbon neutral and contributing to direct boots on the ground conservation work. And there's just a long laundry list of all those awesome things. You know, I want to ask you about the name because to me, your name really kind of states a lot of really just what you do. I think it it definitely speaks to our our extreme attention to 
detail in communication, right? I mean, we could have been Ben Bressler expeditions or Nature Expeditions Inc. But the idea is we wanted something that would be evergreen and, and could grow with us. And the idea that, you know, everything we do is getting into the natural habitat of the world. We're, we're not interested, uh, not that we're not interested, we would all love to go see the pyramids of Egypt, but we we focus on one thing, getting into wilderness areas, natural areas that has have amazing landscapes and wildlife and, and, and cultures in some cases, the foundation of it, not, not anything fabricated, et cetera, et cetera. And we do that, we do that one thing, we do it well, and we repeat it over and over again for all the great places around the world. So I think that the, it's, without being able to say firsthand how Ben and his team at that time came that decision 35 years ago, it's something that really speaks to our attention to detail, effective communication, walking the walk and talking and talk and focusing on what we do best, which is all things nature and adventure. I'll say as an expedition leader, one of the things that always goes into my intro talk at the welcome dinner or the orientation for every trip when we're actually on site is that remember, this is not natural habitat tours. This is natural habitat adventures. Mm-hmm. Um, things go wrong. Buses get flat tires. Trails are eroded away from one week to the next, and we make pivots. But this is why one of the many reasons why we do what we do with small groups and so much attention to detail in the planning is that you know when when the, when adventure happens, we thrive. And and the little catchphrase that I I like to say is that stories are made on adventures. Um, sometimes when things don't go perfectly to plan, that's the story you come away with when you're at your next party telling people like, oh my gosh, we got stuck in this crazy little Arctic airport for an extra day. But that night, the Northern Lights came out on our plane as we're flying up. And right. you know, and that like, is a literal actual story from like my trip in polar bear season, <laughs> the same season you were in. <laughs> we were that group that got rerouted to Thompson for seven hours. I don't oh, know if you wow. heard about it, but, but yeah. So, so, you know, the adventure part, I think is a key aspect, but the natural habitat for all the reasons I just said. Well, you know, um, one of the things I was thinking when I heard the name is that you're putting people in the natural habitat of the wildlife that you are looking to conserve, that you're working with. And I think when people have an opportunity to actually be in that habitat, to see the wildlife, to experience, you know, what they're doing, you know, their natural habitat, it is a way to also introduce them to conservation. Because a lot of people, you know, just hear it as a as a catchword. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And it, and it speaks to something that that I often refer to as this this introduction to conservation. You know, a lot of our guests they they like the idea of conservation they they are you know probably sustainable to some degree in their daily lives they they might recycle or compost but they may not really understand the fine nuances of it and how do you save a tiger how do you save the botswana delta you know that's like those are big things and it really at the at the root of it the core of it is that you cannot save what you do not love and you cannot love what you do not know and i like to say we're in the business of getting people to know things and that trickles up and trickles down across so many, many different platforms. You know, that's a really good point, because when you go to a place that you've heard about, you know, with climate change, you know, having a, a direct effect on it, when you actually see it, you know, then I think it becomes more real to you. So it yeah. is really important to get people out and in, in, into those environments so that they can have the personal experience to be personally affected almost, I guess you could say. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then hopefully come back and do something. 
Yep. And it's a huge part of, you know, our ethos of, of kind of like, quote unquote, making the miles count. Like, yes, we have an impact. We're flying in planes and we're driving in cars and, and we're having an impact on the very thing that we are going up to see. Um, and that's the elephant in the room. You can't get around that. But the reality is that we are very much in a triage situation in the world today. We're, we're at an emergency level. We're losing biodiversity. We're losing some of the top charismatic animals that are, are keystone species to ecosystems. The ecosystem doesn't function without wolves, without polar bears, because of what a disproportionate influence they have on this like umbrella below them. And so we can't afford to just do nothing. We can't afford to not take people here, to not be able to know and fall in love and conserve it. It's it's our best chance. It's one of our only chances. Um, but then, of course, you know, mixing with actual boots on the ground kind of conservation research. But but I would say that getting like like you said, like we've been saying, getting people to see and know these things, it makes it more real. And even if they don't directly you know, vote a certain way in the next election or become members of World Wildlife Fund or Sierra Club or what have you, they do have an influence on their peers, on their family, on their community. Yeah. And from seeing that, it changes their lives. And absolutely through osmosis, it changes the lives around them. I, I have no doubt I've seen it. I've studied it. It's it's a real thing. And we we travel and we host a lot of the kind of influencers of our world, not not Instagram influencers, but like people that make decisions. You know, a lot of these people are executives and they're in businesses, they're CEOs or or they have connections to you know politicians and um, you know, they may be well healed and can to philanthropy, or they may just be very intelligent, I mean, you know, a great writer, a great videographer, a great photographer. And these things are like little spiders that spread out across our culture and turn our concert turn our culture into one that thinks about conservation more. And that's I think that's the end best end goal is to become more of a conservation culture. I'll stop here, take a break, and when we come back, more with Court Whalen from Natural Habitat Adventures here on Travel with Anita and Friends. We travel to see the world, but how do we go about protecting the things that we travel to experience so they're here for generations to come? Welcome back to Travel with Anita and Friends. And we hear the words conservation, sustainability, ecotourism, but how are they different and what do they mean for travel? I asked Court Whalen, Chief Sustainability Officer at Natural Habitat Adventures, to share how do these terms come to life in the work that he does and the travel that we want to do. Words are, you know, they're they're meant to convey certain things, but definitions pull words from one another. So there's a, a ton of overlap and it's very subjective. One person may say conservation is sustainability. Some other person may say, well, sustainability is the overarching thing and conservation is one strategy. I mean, honestly, we could kind of debate this, you know, until the end of days. But the the real the way I see it, let's let's tease out ecotourism first. So ecotourism is, in my mind, another word for conservation travel. Uh, ecotourism has been around since 1983 when it was first coined as a term, um, but it hasn't really been a household term since kind of the late 90s, early aughts. Um, but conservation, so so ecotourism is in in academic. The academic world, it's kind of fallen away as a term because of the the possibility of greenwashing, because, you know, you slap eco in front of something and it's good for the planet and you're doing green things, you know, the eco car wash. Well, a lot of them are eco, but, but you know, like you can put eco in front of anything. There's no there's no certifying body. There's nobody that says you can or can't put eco. It's just a prefix. 
So um, in the academic world, we've gotten away from that. And we're using the term conservation travel. It's basically the same thing. Again, responsible travel to natural areas that conserves the environment and promotes the welfare of local people. It's got all those major tenets. So I don't really use the word ecotourism too, too much, except for the fact that most people know it by ecotourism. Right. So therefore, you know, it's like calling a tissue a Kleenex. It's like, it's just, <laughs> it's known. Um, so sustainability, I mean, by the, the core definition is just the ability to sustain, right? It's it's like the, the long-term plan. And you could probably go into a, a board meeting or a business meeting and talk about business sustainability as a savings account because that's sustainability. Yeah. Um, but I think in today's in today's context, it's very much about like, how do we make sure that we are preserving um, and saving the things that we are into, uh, saving the, the world beneath our feet? I don't have enough of a strong opinion to say that there's a real strong definition or difference between conservation and sustainability. Um, I think just as sustainability becomes more of a buzzword, as we start seeing more people like myself being the CSO, the chief sustainability officer, sustainability has an overarching feel to it for me. Conservation seems like a little bit more deliberate, like, hey, we are actively researching how can we increase the number of those polar bears. Um, and it falls underneath the sustainability umbrella, just like it might would with with other efforts of you know minimizing waste and reducing carbon uh, emissions, et cetera. But honestly, I don't, I think it's a very fuzzy line. You know, another one too, is, you know, you hear people say, well, you should travel with a softer footprint. So it's kind of that same thing. Footprint is, is I think much more deliberate, much more specific because a footprint is kind of measurable. Um, a footprint, you know, most oftentimes, uh, at least right now, refers to a carbon footprint, which you can calculate very easily. Um, there are calculators online. I use these calculators a lot because I'm offsetting all of NatHab's emissions. Um, but then there's also the footprint of just existence, you know, your, your waste stream, the products you consume yeah. and throw away or don't throw away. So it's a much bigger thing. But the thing with footprint is that I think it, it doesn't look at the other side of the equation. And so when I think of sustainability and conservation, however you want to call it, there's really two sides. There's, um, you know, with sustainability, there's, there's lessening your negative impact, right? Like lessening your footprint, right? Um, but the reality is the other half, like literally 50% of my job is maximizing the positive impact. Oh. So I would say just by the very kind of feeling and definition, sustainability is like reducing the negative impact. Conservation is maximizing the positive impact because you go into Churchill, you injected or not have injected money into the local economy. Um, we created more of a love and a passion uh, for polar bears. Uh 30, 40 years ago, the rule was to shoot a polar bear. That's what would happen. But because of ecotourism, because of conservation travel, it, it garnered this love and support. Um, it provided funding to local municipalities to allow for conservation officers to patrol and make sure polar bears don't come too close. Make sure a polar bear in the vicinity is actually a good thing because it represents a population rebound or whatever. Mm. It's not like a threat to life and property. So, so yeah, it's a huge part of this and something that I, I want everybody to understand is that sustainability is, is very much a two-sided thing. It's lessening negative impacts, reducing and uh, offsetting carbon emissions, minimizing your waste footprint, et cetera, et cetera. But it's also everything we do in the world has an impact. You walk out your sidewalk to go get the mail and you're stepping on some sort of bacteria or a fungus that could have, could have had a role in the ecosystem. You're having an impact no matter what. It's the fact that you are 
having a net positive impact on whatever you do in life. And that's a huge, huge part of this brand of, of tourism. What exactly does 100% carbon neutral mean as a travel company? Yeah, that's great. That means we we categorize and calculate every drop of carbon emissions that we produce, that our travelers produce um, over the course of the entire trip, as well as their international flights or, or domestic flights uh, getting to the start and from the end point of the destination. We tally that all up and we work with offsetting programs to physically remove or offset carbon from around the world from the atmosphere. So although we may be producing carbon by flying a thousand miles across Canada, we are working with a program to plant trees or provide efficient cook stoves or to invest in hydroelectric power to actually remove or lessen carbon in other parts of the world. Well, Court, tell me a little bit about your partnership with uh, Rural Wildlife. Yeah, this is great. So we've been partners now since 2003. So we started off, um, you know, as, as kind of running some trips with them and for their members and, and the partnership grew and grew. And the, it came down to the fact that we were doing some conservation work, like actual boots on the ground conservation. They were running their own travel program and we were just part of that. They were working with a dozen other companies. We were working with a few different conservation organizations to to, to contribute to our priority areas ourselves. And um, in short, this is paraphrasing and, and grossly summarizing here, but, you know, the two heads of our, our, our company said, you know, why don't we each do what we do best? You guys do conservation travel, not have amazing. You have pre-trip support and amazing, you know, on-trip experiences, and you, you make it right for every guest, no matter what happens. And uh, World Wildlife Fund, uh, meanwhile, you know, they are one of the premier conservation organizations in the world. They're doing conservation at some of the highest levels in a more diffuse and dispersed way as you possibly can. 2,000 ongoing projects at this moment around the world, 2,000 different projects happening right now. And so we said, well, okay, so how about we be your exclusive travel provider and how about you be our exclusive conservation partner? And so that that's basically what happened. And so now all of our trips are their trips, all of their trips are our trips. And we contribute um, the better part of a million dollars a year now um, to their conservation projects around the world. And then there's a host of other extra great things that we do. Like I think we, we provide, you know, a couple of dozen spots for their researchers and their program managers on our trips that they can join us. And, and, you know, sometimes people that might be a communications officer in some part of the world may not have ever seen that part of the world or seen that area because yeah. they're working more on like the website programming or communications. And so we're, we're helping get them out in the field um, to them again, get them to know it, get them to love it, get them to save it uh, at an even higher level. World Wildlife Fund and their scientists and program managers, there's a direct line of communication between our field teams and expedition leaders. So they're they're also involved in the training. It's really cool that we have access to so much uh, fresh, maybe not yet published conservation research and, you know, asking some of the detailed questions that can only be addressed by academicians by having that direct line to World Wildlife Fund. Natural Habitat Adventures and Rural Wildlife Fund are doing amazing things to make sure words like sustainability and conservation are not just catchwords, but work that can be done, actions that can be taken to ensure that all of the things that we like to travel around the world to see and experience will always be there for future generations. I'll stop here, but when I come back, I'll continue my conversation with Court. And then also I'll talk with Leanne, my expedition leader on my trip to see the polar bears up in Churchill, Manitoba. Back in a few minutes, you're on Travel with Anita and Friends. 
we travel to see and experience the world. And what we love for all the things that we love to see and do to be available for generations to come. Welcome back to Travel with Anita and Friends. And on today's show, I'm talking a lot about sustainability, conservation, and ecotourism. What do those terms mean and how important are they in maintaining and conserving all of the things that we do travel around the world to see. I'm talking with my friends over at Natural Habitat Adventures, a company that I had an opportunity to travel to Canada and see the polar bears with them. I'm talking with their Chief Sustainability Officer, Court Whalen, about their partnership with Rural Wildlife Fund. So let's continue with that when he tells us a little bit about which animals are endangered. There are 25 priority areas in the world. And what these represent is an area where there might be a high rate of endemism, which means animals found nowhere else in the world, like Galapagos Islands. Or it might have a disproportionate effect on the ecosystem, like the Amazon. Like, yes, those critters are found elsewhere, but they represent the lungs of our Earth. And there are about 25 of these around the world, and they represent flora and fauna, plants and animals, big habitats, and big wildlife. It would be very hard to, to name one because there are a lot of things imperiled. And frankly, there are a lot of things we don't even know about that are imperiled. You know, we we estimate that we've discovered and named about 20% of all life on Earth, meaning there's really? 80% that we, ha- we we don't know about. We still don't know about. Yeah, it's 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 staggering. I mean, it's, you know, as far as like some of the, the biggest, most charismatic wildlife that they might have disproportionate effects in their ecosystem, the polar bear is absolutely high high up there. They are ecosystem engineers in the sense that you know, what they do uh, in their environment has this this keystone effect, like a keystone in a bridge or a doorway. Like if they were to be removed, the ecosystem would change dramatically. And when I say change dramatically, I, I don't say the word collapse necessarily, because the reality is our world's been changing ever since it formed 4.7 billion years okay. ago. And this kind of gets to a, a bigger question of climate change and the loss of biodiversity and the loss of habitat you know, people, people think that like, well, I mean, the world's been changing. The world's had cold, you know, um, ice ages and warm ages. Like, yeah, I, I get that. And we're going into a warm age, but we're going into it at a meteoric rate that affects us. <laughs> we're the ones that'll be affected. We, we get wiped off the face of the earth. The earth is fine. It rebounds in a couple thousand years and things are great. It's, it's our problem for ourselves. So I, I had to say that. But anyway, so polar bears are are very high up there. I would say tigers are quite up there as well. Um, orangutans. It's unfortunately a long list, but what we what we often do is we gravitate to the the charismatic critters, right? Like the big showy stuff, the tigers, the polar bears, the gorillas, the orangutans, because we either see ourselves in them or they're big enough to relate to, or they're just exciting. And so they do receive a little bit more attention than the others. But the good thing is, is, is that when you save habitat for a jaguar, one jaguar needs so much territory, like 25 square miles per jaguar, that you're actually saving everything underneath it. So we, we often turn them into an umbrella species in conservation. So yes, we do like to focus on the charismatic megafauna as a company and as a conservation strategy, because when you save that, you save all the little butterflies and the bark beetles and the leafcutter ants that are the actual ecosystem engineers, they're, they're the ones actually running the world. But when you, when, you, when you get people aligned with an animal that people fall in love with, a panda or you know what have you, everything else gets protected by that one sort of emblematic 
uh, sometimes we call them flagship species as well. Some of the animals we know and love so much are, are actually doing okay and pretty good. And that's, that's another part of the story is that I am not like a doom and gloom conservation biologist. Like I, I think that everything still absolutely has a chance. And I think that we're at a real interesting precipice and um, juncture of we can either choose as a majority of global society to care and do something, or we can choose not to. And um, I am invigorated by every year that goes by. Um, this is this this is just a true fact. There are more people in the world on the planet that care about this stuff than ever before. Maybe not like percentage wise, like that's debatable. More people care about this stuff than ever, 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 ever before. And it only takes a handful of visionaries to make major, major change. So I, I, I am extremely optimistic about the future of, of wildlife. Um, we have to be realistic in that, you know, we are not going to be able to save everything, unfortunately. Like we are still catching up from damage done 150 years ago. And that's just a fact. But yeah. we do have the technology to save a lot. We do have the technology to preserve a lot. And um, I do think that there's a, a great way out of this. Who's doing it right? Do you have um, any destinations or companies or anything like that that really stand out? Well, one destination that I particularly love and I, I model a lot of my own conservation strategy and communication strategy is is Costa Rica, just as a country. Mm. Um, they they have this. Uh, have you been to Costa Rica? Yeah, I was there recently. I was there about three oh. weeks ago. Oh, nice. Nice. So you probably have seen that they, they have this conservation culture throughout the country that is really tangible and tactile. Like you see it and hear it and feel it by the people you talk to and, and the places you visit. Even if you're not visiting a national park, you're just visiting a private reserve or you're visiting a restaurant or whatever. Conservation is important to them. Mm -hmm. And it's like an overwhelming majority, like if not the whole society. But like they 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 really preserve what they have. Um, and I think it's it's a real model country. I had a chance to travel with Natural Habitat Adventures to Churchill, Manitoba to see the polar bears. My expedition leader was Leanne Thompson. We had a chance to sit down and chat about the work that the company is doing for conservation in Churchill. Here in Churchill, we do support um, the community in, in many ways. They're, they're, the community itself is wonderful to us, and so we want to be wonderful mm -hmm. right back onto them. So, you know, this year we hosted a Thanksgiving dinner um, for the town that was just open. We also do kids' breakfasts at the school several times a year. Um, any of the food that isn't eaten on our trips gets donated to the community and anyone who's in need. Um, yeah, so we try to do our part here um, and then, yeah, our investment in projects kind of all over the world um, with, you know, women's projects in Africa to hydroponics and growing fresh local greenery or greens for people to eat here in the subarctic of Churchill, um, kind of all over the place we have these programs. Well, you know, some people may wonder, though, I come to a certain destination with you all, and we do things to conserve and be eco-friendly, but how does helping in one place really help us all, regardless of where we live in the world? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's such a great question. So for me, education, it's its what I do. It's, it's my job. I love educating people and bringing people to some of these remote places and being able to see polar bears. And we talk about climate change and, and what is going on with polar bear populations. It allows people the ability to connect to ecosystems and to connect to animals on a deeper level. And so the hope is that you've gone, you've gone on this amazing trip, um, seen incredible things, but then 
you can go home and you know be a bit more cognizant about what your daily life is like and and talk to your friends and talk to your family about the amazing things that you've learned and the amazing things that you have seen and um and hopefully we can all kind of band together and work to protect um the environment because not everyone is going to be able to come up and see the polar bears in churchill um I wish that everyone could. It would be incredible if they could. Um, and not everyone is going to be able to do that. So if we can help spread the message of what is going on and, and things, again, that you've learned in this area, then um, it, you know, it just kind of creates a, a bigger global picture. And, um, and yeah, we could talk about how as a group and, and as a nation or as a community, because um, it happen, can happen across all levels from an individual up to um, enormous groups of people and, and how we can all work together to be better stewards for the world, really. And it's really about education, because a lot of times people just don't know. It's not intentional you know, that they're doing things, but even those little small things that we can do to, to make a difference can add up to something really, really big. And so we do, we try to do a lot of those things on trips. We don't have single use plastics um, and try to reduce our waste as much as possible. And so we are lessening our impact. But then hopefully, in us having water bottles and hot beverage mugs that you guys are reusing all the time, you can take them home and reuse them and, and start thinking about other aspects of your life that you could alter so that it's producing less waste. Even just simple things like that that people can go home with. That's right. Even just those simple things that we can do. I'll stop here, but I'll be back in a moment. We'll continue this conversation here on Travel with Anita and Friends. travel to see the wildlife where well, you can do just that with the company natural habitat adventures welcome back to travel with anita and friends i'm going to pick up my conversation with my expedition leader leanne thompson when i travel to churchill canada to see the polar bears um, yeah, people come up here, they want to see polar bears, they want to see foxes and owls, and mm. um, and hopefully they come up here also wanting to experience just the tundra in, in general too, because yeah. it's an incredible ecosystem, and, and I know we've talked about it a lot, and all of the tiny little intricacies mm. and how that ecosystem can function, it's incredible, and so hopefully people kind of go away with this appreciation for um, not only polar bears, because of course you've already come with that, you've mm. come to see the polar bears, but all of the other kind of smaller, lesser known details. Churchill is kind of known as the polar bear capital of the world and through a for a couple of different reasons we know that um, the ice along Hudson Bay which is what the polar bears are waiting for it does freeze first around the Churchill region so in the fall um, the bears of the western Hudson Bay subpopulation of polar bears which is what we're hanging out with here they all move over to the Churchill region waiting for that ice um, because they've been on land for the summer and and they're not they haven't really been eating very much they find some snacks along the way of course they'll have them um, <laughs> If they're lucky, maybe a whale carcass has come on shore and they've been able to have a little bit of a feast on that too. But ultimately, polar bears are marine mammals and they are waiting for that sea ice to form. When the ice is formed, they go out on the bay, they hang out on that ice until they 
until the last possible second, until it thaws next summer. So they're waiting for that ice to form so that they can go out and start hunting. Mm-hmm. So their primary prey is the ringed seal. And so they are anxiously waiting for that time mm-hmm. right now. And as we see the temperatures drop, we know that it's getting closer. The bears know that it's getting closer. It's one of the things that we're seeing right now with, with climate change, because you can't come up and be in the subarctic or in the Arctic regions and not and seeing polar bears and not talk about climate change um, with this population subpopulation of polar bears they do have an ice-free period when the Hudson Bay does thaw in the summertime they come on land and then they come to Churchill in the fall and they wait for the ice to form and so they can go out for the winter but with climate change we're seeing um, on average that we're getting later freeze-up dates and earlier thawing dates which is really problematic for a species that relies on the sea ice for their food so they're ending up to have to spend more time on land And so what we're seeing is a reduction in in body condition, population, um, because of course, their food or having enough food is um, is required for their reproduction. The females have to weigh a certain amount in mm-hmm. order to um, carry a successful pregnancy. And so if they're having less time with the ice available, then their body condition is going down. They're less likely to have, um, have a successful pregnancy or they're having smaller litters smaller of cubs litters, as yeah. well. Um, so that's why we're kind of seeing some of the decline in the population. Well, I know people will probably wonder how are bears adapting into climate change? Yeah. Some of the answer is that they're that they are, but they're not, and so it is one of the scary things that they're having to spend more time on land. Mm-hmm. So you know we've seen it in the news where people there was the polar bear around Greenland, I think it was mm-hmm. that it you know one. killed. Well, there was that one, but there there was one this summer, I think it was, where it had um, killed a reindeer and mm-hmm. was eating a reindeer. So very very bizarre, mm-hmm. and so we'll probably start to see some of, more of those mm-hmm. um, behaviors happening. And likely what's going to happen is that just their range, their territory is going to shrink. So polar bears, they're found, you know, obviously in the Arctic. Mm-hmm. And this population that we're in, the Western Hudson Bay population, it's one of their southern, more southern limits. And it's where we're seeing the effects of climate change the strongest because they're having more and more ice-free time. And so likely what's going to happen, and we're seeing it, is the decline in the population here. And the range of polar bears is likely just going to continue to shift more north. And hopefully... Um, we can kind of halt some of that and start having positive impacts for them. And, and some of that is why we talk about travel and climate change and polar bears and Arctic ecosystems yeah. um, on trip and, and do focus so, so much on this education that hopefully people will, you know, step up and, and want mm-hmm. to take action and stand up for polar bears and the Arctic ecosystem as a whole. Polar bears get used as a poster child for yeah. the Arctic, of course, and they're a very adorable poster child. They're doing a great job, oh, yeah. but there's many other species too. That and so tourism has certainly had uh, an enormous impact on Churchill and their and their protection of the polar bears. So historically, polar bears around here they would have been shot and killed. And as people got interested in seeing polar bears in the wild, then it afforded Churchill to be able to work hard to protect their bears, because now there was money in the community to help set up programs and and participate in conservation because conservation isn't free and and so tourism dollars now coming into the community has meant that they can have entire programs that are dedicated to protecting the people as well as the polar bears but keeping everybody safe because you do you have a community in the middle of an area that gets full of polar bears we've talked about this so much on trip make sure that when you walk out the door 
you're looking around and seeing if there's bears and don't go out at night and and there's all of these kind of rules of the community but all of that is in place for the protection of the people as well as the protection of the bears Mm -hmm. so they have a polar bear alert program um, here in churchill and essentially what that is is that there's conservation officers who are patrolling the town and keeping the bears out of town and if they have to the the um they'll they'll guide them out Mm -hmm. um of course sometimes there is a bit more uh, hazing and and you know chasing off more aggressively, but it's all it's all for the benefit of the polar bears because if they're coming into town, you know they can smell the town and and mm-hmm. smell that there's food here and and if they're hungry and maybe didn't have a very successful year out on the ice or they're a bear that's just left mom and is still kind of working their way through figuring out how to be mm-hmm. a polar bear in a changing world without their mom that can teach them all those lessons, those bears tend to be a little bit more desperate. And so they might be coming into town and hoping that they can find some food. Because we have tourism here, it has allowed for that those types of programs to, to come into place. And of course, tourism, go back in history, where it started, bears at garbage dumps and baiting and feeding bears. Of course, those things have happened because mm-hmm. we didn't know any better. And as this community has grown, um, so too, has their views on how to interact with polar bears. So they, they focus so heavily on the protection and conservation mm-hmm. of their bears because um, they are their bears. And, and yeah. Churchill is extremely proud of their of having their bears. We do try to get you to feel what that community is mm-hmm. like. So, you know, we've had a couple of evening presenters that talk about their life in Churchill, um, some of the easy parts and some of the hard parts about the history of Churchill and, and learning more about Canada as a whole mm-hmm. too. So, um, you know, try and get you guys to feel part of this community because all of that builds connection to these places and that's that's what we're striving for that's what we want people to do not only feel connected to the bears that you've come with to come to see but come and feel connected to an entire community that's dedicated to this and to see this community work so hard to protect the bears then it automatically has to make get you thinking well what can i do at home they churchill works incredibly hard with some very limited resources at times. Um, the community has been through so, so much and and they still band together and they still protect their bears. So it, it hopefully is really showing people that yeah. the impact that you can have and hopefully go home with that. But we've also, um, the Churchill Northern Study Center, which is a research building here that's studying polar bears and Arctic foxes and tundra ecosystems and marine ecosystems. They're studying kind of anything and everything that you can think of. They've probably got some project working on um, working on over there. But they also have a hydroponics unit because one of the struggles of um, being up in the Arctic is, of course, getting food. And there are no roads to Churchill, so all of the resources come in here by either train, plane, or boat which make things expensive and trying to get you know fresh fruit and fresh veggies it takes longer to get here than it does to your grocery store Mm -hmm. most likely and so uh, again it's one of the things that the community is trying to do is to make that easier for people so at the study center they have hydroponics they call their program the rocket greens that each week they'll get a whole bunch of fresh greenery Um, so herbs and spinach and you know other things and they they're they're talking about if they can expand the program but Mm -hmm. so not have we do help contribute to that um, and then also with the polar bear protection we do um, with the whole polar bear alert program um, they do have a polar bear jail 
kill here. The uh, polar bears, if they are being problematic, um, they'll get caught and they just go put in jail. Nothing bad happens. The bears that go in there need protection from themselves mm -hmm. because it's those bears that are feeling a bit more desperate. They're able to conserve more energy until that ice forms. Mm -hmm. And so they have found that if they've been able to do that, it's often the ones that have just left mom, then you're protecting them in a time frame where like they are their most vulnerable to themselves because they're exactly. more desperate. They learn over time and, and they get better at what they're, they get better at being a bear. Now it's your turn to plan a trip with Natural Habitat Adventures. Either to Canada to see the polar bears like I did, you will love that adventure. To be able to see those polar bears up close and personal like that, oh yeah, you'll want to do that. But you also have the opportunity to check out some of their other expeditions all around the world where they're working to conserve wildlife and communities. So check out their website at nathab.com. That's N-A-T-H-A-B.com. And thanks for joining me today. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Travel with Anita. For more, log on to her website, travelwithanita2ends.com, and look for her award-winning podcast, Quarter Miles Travel, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Anita will be back in two weeks with another exciting adventure for you and your travel buddies. So keep those passports updated, and remember to always travel safe and travel smart. Right, Jack? Uh, uh, uh.